Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Andy Johnson, and this is This Thing Called Life. I hope everyone is doing well, and thank you for listening. Uh, My guest today is someone who has been in healthcare for many years, specifically working in the area of kidneys and kidney health. And we're going to talk with him more just about kidney health and uh, kidney transplants. And so I'm very excited that he could join us today. I just want to remind everyone that uh, September is BNV Appreciation Month, and it's a great time to thank all of the licensed bureau employees from all over the country who ask customers every day, do they want to be an organ donor? We sincerely appreciate and value the role that you play in helping others to receive a second chance at life. So thank you again. So with that, please help me welcome Dr. Amit Govel of UC Health. Good afternoon, Dr. Govel. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Andy, and thanks for having me over at the show. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for coming on. This, this is a very important topic as it relates to transplant, and you have so much experience. You are professor of medicine at UC Health, as well as director of transplant and chief section of transplantation. So you wear many hats. You teach as well as practice. How long have you been doing this work in nephrology? So I've been in this as a nephrologist for more than 20 years, and uh, I've dedicated more than 15 years of that time in taking care of patients needing kidney transplant. Okay. And can you tell me, why did you choose this area of medicine to practice in? So one of my first exposures as a medical resident was with a patient who had trace protein in the urine. And all of us as residents ignored that component of lab finding. And uh, we, what we did not realize that our attending was a world-renowned figure in diabetic kidney disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually taught us and showed us how this small, inconspicuous protein in the urine meant a doom bell for a lot of our patients who were to develop kidney disease from diabetes down the line. And that was an, an eye-opener for me because all of us, when he jokingly asked us who would trade in high blood pressure compared to having protein in the urine, we all picked up, oh, we don't mind having protein in the urine, not realizing that this is a silent killer in our lives. And that sort of got me intrigued into this direction of medicine, where we realized that it's, it's a silent disease. Kidney disease is totally silent. And that's, that's a tricky part about taking care of our patients who may not know what's going on with them. 
And that was a turning point in my life to dedicate myself to the field of nephrology and kidney disease. Yes, I've, I've often heard that it is the silent killer. And I've interviewed people who are currently going through dialysis and are waiting for transplant, kidney transplants. And many of them found out in their earlier in life, in their 20s, that, that A, there was kidney failure ran in their family. It was hereditary and that, you know, there were warning signs and, and many just said, you know, I felt, I felt good. I felt okay. So I, I kind of just, you know, ignored it. What, what leads someone to having kidney failure? So one thing we have to realize that kidney is affected by a lot of things that happen in our body, whether it be high blood pressure, whether it be diabetes or any other changes that may be related to some problems happening at the level of the kidney itself. So it's not just about kidney functioning by itself, but what surrounds it. Now, it may be surprising to many of our listeners out there that one in six of us population are at risk for kidney disease. And more importantly, one in 10 out of us do have some element of kidney disease, what we call chronic kidney disease. So almost 37 to 40 million U.S. population have chronic kidney disease. And that is an eye-opening number. Yes. Now, if I go down yes. the statistics a little bit more, more than half a million of people have failed their kidneys and are on some sort of dialysis therapy and maybe around 200,000 of other patients may have active working kidney transplant. So these are not small numbers. And when about mortality, uh, the kidney disease kills more people every year, more than 50,000 people who die of kidney disease. Now that may not seem like kidney doing it, but kidney is a reason why those people die. It's a major contributing factor. And so often I hear, obviously, dialysis is a way to kind of, I guess, treat, if you will, um, these different diseases that impact the kidney. Um, but I also hear that it's not, ultimately, it, it can actually take years off of someone's life. It's not a long-term treatment. And yet we've seen people on dialysis for years. Can you speak to that? So I, I have a different take on that and how I look at the problem. It's just like glass half full or half empty. Okay. So when I talk to my patients and they'll sometimes complain about dialysis, what I tell them is just imagine a life and which is not far off or far back uh, before 1943, we did not have dialysis. So what that meant was that if someone had kidney failure, there was really nothing for them. That was the end of the road. And that is still the end of the road for a lot of people who have liver failure, who have heart failure, who do not get an organ transplant. So essentially what that means is that rather than looking at dialysis as a failure, I see that the dialysis is trying to prolong the life which could have been taken away. Now, you're absolutely right that the dialysis doesn't do half a good of a job that we would have expected because just the limitation in how the technology is, and two, how our body is not equipped fundamentally to work with the machine. 
Okay. And uh, our bodies used to be working 24-7, which means our bodies used to being cleaned out every second, every minute we speak. Not just be reliant on three times a week kind of a cleaning, which is a traditional dialysis that, that they do for four hours, three times a week. So definitely dialysis is able to prolong life, but not to the point, and it's very dismal survival. It's almost, if 100 people were to start dialysis today, maybe 10 will make it to the end of 10 years. Mm -hmm. That may be worse than many of the cancers that we talk about. And still, when I talk to a patient about whether they have heart disease, they'll jump out of the seat. If I tell them you have cancer, they'll have goosebumps. If I tell them they have kidney disease, they actually are in a denial where they're like, hey, you know what? I'm making some urine. I'm making, I don't have a pain in the kidney. And that's what I try to tell them that kidney disease is very silent. The only time you may have pain in the kidney is only when you have physical problems like kidney stones or any cyst, which is hurting you. So those could be symptoms. has nothing to do with any disease, okay. which, which are totally different, and they're not symptom of kidney disease per se. Kidney disease means we are in fear of the kidney, which is very silent process. And so essentially, your kidneys really do not have to hurt, and actually they do not hurt at all when you fail your kidneys over a period of time. And at the end of the day, I think the only way we get to know is through the blood test and 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 routine numbers analysis that we do and otherwise outside of that it's very difficult to know just by looking at a patient what kind of kidney disease do they have or even if they do have kidney disease oh wow wow that that's frightening and just the number of people who are suffering from it and may not even realize it is is equally frightening does is some of that does this diet possibly contribute to someone having kidney issues or um, obviously I'm sure that contributes to high blood pressure and diabetes, but what role does diet play for people, especially people who may be predisposed? So that could be particularly people of color, African-Americans, Hispanics. Can you speak to that? Yeah, sure. Actually diet does play a role in, in making kidney disease worse or stable, but a lot of that has to be done with how we manage our primary disease, which is causing the kidney disease. Now, if we look across the country, the number one reason for kidney disease is diabetes mellitus. And most of that is type two diabetes, which is defined as some sort of insulin resistance, which could be related to obesity as well. So the diet definitely has a role to play in how much insulin resistance that we have. And we have shown with multiple studies where people who have lost weight over a period of time, their kidney disease may have stabilized in that process. Mm -hmm. Same thing with people who are more prone to high blood pressure, eating a high-salt diet may not help. So the result is that we have to have a healthy, balanced diet to stabilize our diabetes, our high blood pressure, and that itself indirectly will help keep our kidneys happy, healthy. As far as are concerned, I always say there's no substitute for, for a good drink of water that we all should have. I know 
many of us may be used to a lot of carbonated drinks or sugar drinks and just what was designed to only work with the water everything <laughs> that we add on is what we have acquired as a taste over the years and over the centuries uh, one of the my favorite discussion with our medical students is that i always tell them have we tasted any of the the infant food and they tell me that yeah it's very bland and i <laughs> says how we all are if you taste that we just so so all that we do eat drink is lot of it is acquired taste and it's yeah. not something that our body demands or needs it's just that we have created an environment and that's why culturally and uh, socio economically all our dietary habits change in terms of what's available and that plays a very important part of these diseases very in people of color among socio economic strata and access to care and access to food and access to to what we can afford to eat in in a healthy healthy manner but this is this is a big global picture that we have to zoom out and look at and mm-hmm. it's not easy for one individual to fix that problem so uh, it's very difficult for me to ask one patient of mine hey stop eating salt because everything that we eat around us is loaded with salt mm-hmm. and it's very very difficult to break that cycle as one individual uh, so we as a group we as a society have to move over a period of time yes yes so from the thinking globally is this issue of kidney disease is it more prevalent here in america or is it more prevalent in other parts of the world so i would say the prevalence is probably the same it may vary among certain regions to the other okay. there are definitely certain aspects of kidney disease that we do not understand which means that they may have familial clustering we have seen that time and again that certain regions in the in the world have more kidney disease it's not like hereditary that if father has it the son has to have it but they tend to be scattered around there are certain families and as we progress we now can identify certain genes which make one more prone to have kidney disease that does not mean that everyone who has it is going to have it so there is always a question of that double hit theory just like getting into an a car accident it's not always just one thing that causes it it be bad weather slippery road lack mm-hmm. of attention something else that comes up so it's a multitude of things that happen uh, at the at one point of time which results in this and that's sort of what we think causes the kidney disease as well that uh, some of those so but yes in our country uh, again with our resources we are able to diagnose it able to take it uh, in a more efficient manner, as may say uh we have more resources available for dialysis and for transplantation but still there is a lot more to be done on that front uh, as to be able to provide that access or care to everyone right so with the patients that you have taken care of over the years obviously many have received kidney transplants from living donors um which is obviously 
a great way to help people who are need of kidney transplants. I think a living donor is, is optimal in many circumstances. In your experience, do you see more of your Caucasian patients? Do they seem to have more success in identifying living kidney donors? And if so, why why do you think that is? Again, uh, that's a very, the access of care. Access is, of care. Is a, burn, is a burning topic, not only the field of transplantation and the disparity in care, I would say. Yes. Uh, whether it's uh, whether it's gen- gender based, whether it's uh, color based, whether it's socioeconomic based, in different categories, we have seen that disparity time and again mm-hmm. in every aspect of care that is being provided. But when we <clears throat> look in general for the transplant, definitely we see a bulk of that difference. The reasons related to people of color who may be at a higher risk when we look at end-stage kidney disease, it just is 3.7 times more, so almost four times more in African-Americans, one and a half times more in Native Americans, one and a half times more in Asian-Americans when we compare to Caucasian population. Now, does it mean that all of this is genetic? Possibly and possibly not because we still don't understand some of it that may be access of care in terms of certain population who are able to seek that care right away. Some may not be aware of that. And uh, when we look at just an overall spectrum, 13% of the overall U.S. population is Afri- African-American. Now, when we look at the transplant uh, or people who are receiving dialysis, one-third of them are African-American. So which means that there is definitely more propensity of, of kidney disease in this group of patients than, than, than any other group. When we look at the transplant, again, the same thing uh, of, uh, there are almost 100,000 people actively waiting on the kidney transplant list across the country. And uh, essentially, if I look, almost 35,000 or so on that wait list comprise of of Caucasians and uh, people of color, maybe around 30,000, 35,000, which again, that number unfortunately doesn't change a whole lot. So they may be wait listed, but they may not be able to get the transplant as fast. And a lot of that may have to do with certain other factors, which... uh, which may be beyond our control. So if we look at the number of transplants, almost 22,800 transplants, kidney transplants happened last year, out of which uh, uh, African-Americans received around 6,000 transplants. So so when we look at the number of people on the list compared to the people who get transplanted uh, and compare it to the number of people who are on dialysis, they just don't add up completely. And, and there is definitely a lot of disparity there. And there have been studies and, and articles published, and one of them really looked at uh, this at depth. And they realized that one of the big reasons is the living donation doesn't happen as much mm-hmm. in, in, in the group with African-Americans. And, uh, and that may be because the prevalence of kidney disease, prevalence mm-hmm. of diabetes, hypertension in general is higher in that group. So most of them 
cannot be a potential donor mm-hmm. of kidney anyhow, and they get excluded out. So, so essentially, it becomes a very challenging task. And when they realized that if the living donation rates increased, the disparity between the groups decreased, which means that proper education, communication, and and reaching out to the communities and making them aware of the benefits of kidney transplants, the benefit or the benefits of kidney donation in general, there is always a myth about that the kidney donation can harm the donor mm-hmm. uh, in the short run and in the long term. And there are there is data which shows that it's not it's living kidney donation is is not harmful. We have to make sure that yes, they are healthy to begin with. But uh, in general, it's it's something that we all believe in. It's a gift of life. So when we achieve that, then definitely we break that barrier and we are able to to improve those numbers in general. So I would say that a lot of these are real problems and real barriers, but the barriers can be broken down over a period of time. Yes. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm hopeful there's, you know, there's been so much discussion over the last year or so about just equity in healthcare or lack of equity. And so I feel like the more that those conversations are, are being had that then we can, we can do better as a healthcare system. I was listening to a webinar a few weeks ago and it was about equity and trans and transplant. And a lot of it talked about the barriers in some of the policies that are of patients getting listed being, being problematic for people of color. And I just, I found that fascinating because not knowing anything about that side and how people are listed in the testing and the things that happen. I just, I, I just, I just thought people, you know, were, were listed based upon what was going on with them from a healthcare standpoint, a health standpoint. But a lot of it, from what I understood, was actually based on ethnicity and that sort of thing. And it, it just, it blew my mind. But I was hopeful that, you know, they did say that they're working to eradicate those type of policies. So. Do you have any thoughts about that? Again, a lot of these, absolutely. As I said, you know, even with our own experience, education is the key. And and that's what I feel when I go to, I have multiple outreach clinics in the tri-state area. And uh, and I've realized a lot of this, these barriers are related to misinformation. Mm -hmm. And it's all about what you hear in the dialysis unit, what you hear in some office and one bad experience means like thousand word for, for any individual and a lot of good things just go unheard of. Right. So, and that's, that's sort of the barrier that we try to break down when I talk to my patients across that, what is out there and what is the real risk of where we are and what we could get into and the benefits of what could be done if we were to do or we could go like say for example for living donation mm-hmm. they always have a question what if my my son who could be a potential donor but what if he has also has kidney disease and it's sometimes good to discuss it out in front of what we know and what we don't know and i always tell them that yes there is no way anyone can guarantee 
anything, even for myself, if I was to be tested today, that does not mean that I may not have something five years down the line. But at the same time, from what science knows, what we know at this point of time, it's a very, very, very safe process. And there are technology that can pick up things much ahead of time than before. So, so a lot of this is we have to, the science is evolving, the technologies are getting better. So it's more of reassuring and breaking down those barriers that has helped. Now, there are some race or color-based criteria that were inbuilt in some of our calculations. One of the classic examples that has been discussed nationally is how you calculate GFR or the kidney function. And uh, uh, in general, if you are black, then automatically the system gives you a credit or it inflates your kidney function, which makes like to make it and it gets better because the assumption was that uh, in, in, at that point of time was that the blacks have more muscle mass and, yes. and, uh, and their creatinine, even if it's higher, is reflective of higher muscle mass and we should not be worried about a little higher creatinine. But that's probably not the case now in all of us because, again, as we realize that this, the science has shown that this is not really based on the color of the skin, right. and, and, the, and so the muscle mass could be high or low in anyone regardless of, of the color of the skin. And these numbers probably may not have helped the group because, one, if they were to be considered for a living donation, then they were probably these numbers were making them look better than what they were. Mm -hmm. And if they were on the other side wanting to get a kidney, then they were listed a little later because their kidney numbers did not go down to that cutoff because the cutoff for listing was still the same. And since their numbers were relatively better that it took a little more time for them to reach that lower point to get mm -hmm. listed. Mm -hmm. Now that is being debated right now across the country. And I think that's one barrier that will be, and that will benefit uh, the group in general once we take those overcorrections out of the out of the picture. Yes, that that was actually the what you talked about the body mass. That was the example that was talked about, and um, and then the physician made the comparison. He said, "If I have, you know, an, an older, uh, frail." African-American woman patient, obviously she would not fit, you know, fit that. And it just, again, not, not knowing it, it, that really was just, it really was mind boggling to me. Cause to me, I'm thinking we need to look at each patient individually, not based on, you know, ethnicity and, and you would just think, but as you said, we're, we're constantly evolving and learning. And so I, I think that eventually those 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 things will will change. But um, again, just things that normal like the lay public would never realize. So that's um, something I always tell my students and fellows and residents that we are infant in the field of science. Yes. You believe again. I, I I I'm humble about it because just you know in broad scheme of things. 
the kid, the first kidney transplant happened in 1954, mm-hmm. the successful kidney transplant. First dialysis happened during World War II when they had all these war victims and they started doing dialysis. So come to think of it, we just 60, 70 years out. Right. And if you look at the scheme of time of how long we have been around, uh, it just looks like we are we are just starting to learn about these things. Mm-hmm. And, and we should learn from what we know and what we didn't know. And we just, as you said, constantly evolve ourselves. And that's where, that's the key to success and and breaking down these barriers. Yes, yes. So what would you, let's say there's just, just the average person, the person listening, and what would be some warning signs that, that, that they should look out for and that could prompt them or that should make them want to go see their physician in terms of potential issues with their kidneys? So the first thing I would say is be aware of their family history. This is one big sign, uh, which means that if someone in your family has some kidney disease, don't be ignorant of the fact that you could be prone to that as well. If the commonest cause for kidney disease, as I said, is diabetes, high blood pressure. So I would say take care, good care of yourself, take good care of your diabetes, high blood pressure, follow up with your physician so that way they can make sure that your kidneys stay healthy. Now, if you were looking at kidney disease by itself, then some of the things that may come unnoticed would be high blood pressure, swelling in your feet, or if you feel you have puffiness around your eyes, then please go see your primary care physician and get them to check your blood for kidney numbers and your urine. But again, as I said, don't count on kidney pain as one of the symptoms because a kidney pain really is not a symptom of kidney disease. That's just a mechanical problem, which could be because of a stone in the kidney or some cyst, but that's only a mechanical symptom the real symptoms of kidney disease are mostly one silent two one has to be very aware of what's what's going on in their family with themselves and definitely a healthy balanced lifestyle is what i would recommend for everyone and drink plenty of fluids yeah you know i would really just i with you know we hear so much about heart health and cancer and these types of ailments that affect us. I just, I feel like this should be right up there with it because it impacts so many people in our country. And we're not, I just feel like we really need to have more elevated conversations um, because it really is a silent killer. I, I can't tell you the number of people that I've either known or just come in contact with who are my age or younger, who are suffering from these from these diseases, the kidney issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, and really aren't taking care of themselves. And and a few have ultimately passed away as a result. And it's just, it's frightening because in many aspects, these are things that could be prevented if we took the proper steps and, and proactively, you know, sought out our doctors. Absolutely. And as I always say that, 
you know, we should put our, all our heart and energy into something that we know can be prevented yes. or modified. And, and this is one of those things where if we know and we take care of it, absolutely, absolutely, we can, we can delay the onset of kidney disease or even prevent it from happening. Right. Right. So recently there were some changes in how organs were, are allocated specifically kidneys as well as livers. Do you see, or do you believe it's been a few months, but do you believe that this will lead to people getting more transplants? I think this will help. So if I rephrase it, that it'll help certain centers do more transplants and certain people who have been waiting at some busy centers get those transplants sooner. Will it result in actual increase in number of transplant? Maybe not, but it will definitely take the disparity between one region to the other down. And as some of our listeners may know that every part of the country has different wait times for all these organs. So if you were looking at a kidney transplant, if you were in the New York City area, the average wait time could be eight to 10 years. We are down in Los Angeles area, similar wait times. We go up to Pacific Northwest, the wait times may be just two to three years. Uh, Midwest, maybe three to four years. So they're trying to, to take that disparity away as much as they can. So they're opening these organs which are made available, say, uh, in Midwest to be more available to more centers by increasing the, the nautical miles for which the organs can be available. So, so the point is that, yes, uh, I think all in all, uh, it'll, it'll give a lot of these people who were waiting on the list for too long a better chance and a lot of bigger centers who may have a big wait list with a lot of people who have a lot of wait time, they may be able to increase their numbers. So definitely it will increase some of the volume in general, but it will definitely increase volume for certain centers to do more transplants. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find interesting now is that we, we are now transplanting organs from donors that maybe what we consider marginal or not optimal. So a donor that may have hepatitis is now able to, the organs can be transplanted to a patient in need of a, a transplant, and then that can be treated. What would, what would you say? Because again, you, you, have, you are an expert and you've been in this so long. And I just, I think the evolution of that is, is just so interesting, but what would you say to a patient who's waiting and may say, you know what? I just, I want a perfect kidney, but there is this, there is this kidney available. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And actually we were, we did a study on transplanting hepatitis C kidneys and liver into our patients and what I can say is one, there is no perfect organ. Uh, so when we look at the benefit of kidney transplant, a kidney that comes in from a living kidney donor, the benefit is that you get it right away. They have been medically screened, a full workup has been done, and that kidney on an average could last 20 to 25 years mm -hmm. on an average. 
Now, a kidney that comes from the list, one has to wait. The wait time starts from the day they started dialysis. That kidney on an average may last 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on, we had this from 2014, there was a new concept introduced called KDPI, which is Kidney Donor Profile Index, which means we give a certain number to each kidney that becomes available. The higher the number, it just means that its long-term survival may not be as good as if there was a lower numbered kidney available. Now, when we look at these things together, we have to compare it what the survival without a transplant would be. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the big thing. As I mentioned, that the dialysis survival is, is very dismal over a period of time. So a 10-year survival on dialysis is around 10%. So anything that can get us there is a better choice. So that's one of the reasons people started saying that, hey, for someone, say, who's 70-year-old on dialysis, the likelihood that they may not be alive in a couple of years on dialysis, it's better to give them a kidney which would last them seven, eight years. We are not looking at 20 years of survival of that kidney. If he can get seven, seven, eight years, that's what we'll take because that gets them off dialysis right away. Right. So that's where the concept of using these so-called marginal kidneys come in. But now with the hepatitis C, interestingly, as we studied these groups, they really are not really marginal in terms of quality because unfortunately, most of these kidneys come from people who may have died of drug overdose. Right. Now the drug overdose, unfortunately, happens in a very younger young group. So as a matter of fact, what we saw was that most of these organs come from very healthy individuals who are young. And these organs otherwise are absolutely fine, except that they may come along with, say, hepatitis B or hepatitis C. And now with the cure that we have for hepatitis C available, we can just treat them for three months. And then they walk away with a good functioning kidney, which actually, as a matter of fact, came from a much younger individual that they may not have been able to receive it otherwise. Because if this kidney did not have that kind of disease, then that kidney probably may have ended up in a pediatric population and may not even have come and offered to us. Okay. So, so all in all, many a times it's a win-win situation. And two, when we started doing this, we were able to get our patients transplanted in a couple of weeks. So compare it to years of waiting, you know, because that list was too small. Now, almost all our patients want that kind of a kidney. So the wait list has grown back longer again, but still uh, there's a good chance that you can get a much better quality kidney much faster, except that it has hepatitis C and you can treat hepatitis C after the transplant and be on the track. And we did that with, uh, with 65 patients in our first group and they all did very well. Oh, wow. That's, that's wonderful. That's very promising. Very promising. So as we, as we wrap up here, are there any resources or websites that you might suggest for people to learn more about kidney health um, and just being proactive in that respect? So again, 
I think what I've seen is people definitely go back to internet surfing and Google a lot of things. But Which can be good I, and bad. <laughs> I, I always tell them, please, uh, if we could do everything there, then uh, life would be so much different. So definitely they should listen to their providers. They should reach out to their dialysis unit, listen to them, to their transplant center that they're working with. But if they were generally looking for resources, uh, normally the National Kidney Foundation has their regional offices in all, in all cities and they may have some resources available in terms of funding and other things. Then there are some online education things. One of them is NIDDK, which is a National Institute for Diabetes, Digestive and Kidney Disease. They have a lot of resources and, uh, and, and there is even organ procurement agencies, like Life Center and uh, all these have their own websites which can provide you with a link. But I would say that by default, go back to your provider, go back to your group of uh, healthcare professionals who are taking care of you because they can guide you best for what is available locally in that region out there. And But at the end of the day, no matter where you are, there is always someone happy to listen to you. So don't ignore. That's what I always say. Do not ignore. Please, please, please reach out. There is always one way or the other. There is always some door that will open up to help us out. And so yes, please, and often please. we just have to ask. And I think sometimes that's that can be a barrier. Sometimes people are afraid to ask or they're afraid they're going to ask the wrong question or and so I just, I think it's so important that um, we change, you know, we, we have to really advocate for ourselves and our health as best, you know, as best we can and rely on the people and the experts around us like yourself. So. Absolutely. And I, as a la- last thing, I would definitely add, because that's one thing I always personally feel that sometimes we ask, and this is more for the families of the patients who are listening, that think of it that sometimes we ask too much of our patients. They have to go through that process. They have to take their medicine. They have to keep up with the appointments. They have to live with the uncertainty of what's next. So the least we can do for our family, people who are suffering with the disease is to be their champion, which means listen to them, understand them, and reach out for resources on their behalf. And that's something we call a champion concept, which is just be their champion. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, sometimes I feel bad asking my patient to do this, do that. Hey, can you go and look for a kidney donor? I'm, and I always feel, hey, can we just have your champions do that for you? Because you yourself are suffering through so much. And, and there, is, there is no reason why you should carry all that burden by yourself. So, so I, I make an humble request to all the people, all the family members that please, please be be the champion for, for your loved one. I love that. And I completely agree. So just to reiterate that point, people who have family members that are currently going through this healthcare fight with kidney disease, um, are on dialysis, are in need of kidney transplants, please, please champion for your loved one, help share their story. And they, they are carrying a very heavy load. And so to have that support really will help them um, get through this journey and, and 
continue to be healthy and ultimately get the transplant that they need. So Dr. Goal, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. I I, I feel like we're going to have to do this again because I have more questions. Um, I feel like we just kind of tap the surface here, but I, I do want to thank you for taking the time. And I want to thank you for just all of the care that you give to your patients. Um, you do such important and incredible work. So thank you so much. Thank you, Andy, for having me over there. And uh, Absolutely. Have a, have a very nice day. So as I close today, I want to remind everyone that there are 106,748 men, women, and children in need of life-saving organ transplants, and more than 90,000 are those in need of kidney transplants. These are massive numbers, but these also equal human beings who are in great need people that are in our communities who live and work and play. They have children, grandchildren, spouses, partners, and all are just trying to live a good life and fulfilling lives. And they want to leave this world a better place. And so we need to do all that we can to help them. So I ask that if you're not already a donor, please register today at lifepassiton.org or at registerme.org or at your local BMV when you're renewing your driver's license or state ID. Um, also seek out information, factual information, and understand what being a donor truly means. Speak to a medical professional as Dr. Goval spoke about earlier, or someone who's gone through the donation experience as either a donor family member, a recipient, or living donor. You can also learn about becoming a living donor, kidney donor yourself, because the vast majority of the patients waiting need life-saving kidney transplants. I want to thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to yourself and to others. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by LifeCenter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the national transplant waiting list for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.